Welcome to A Moment with Modern Mentors, a podcast series by Digital Collective Co, where we soak up wisdom, anecdotes, and actionable tips from Australian startups, female founders, business leaders, industry pioneers, and C-suite executives. Trent and I started this business back in 2015, and it's something that Certainly from me, I I ran a PR agency for for eight years prior. Working with my husband is something that I always really have wanted to do. (laughs) If we could kind of put our minds together, you know, we could really have the ability to do something great. We had a a bit of a crossroads in in his career and that was kind of where we looked for Serena and that was really kind of where it was born. And it's kind of been a roller coaster ride ever since. No business is just smooth sailing and you don't ever kind of look at your end goal and say, oh, I got there by doing step one, two, three, four, five. It is turning corners, it's left, it is right, it is up, it's down, it's highs, it's lows. But uh, I feel really incredibly grateful for building a brand with purpose that I love, but also for working with my husband and being able to share that journey together because it's hard, but at least we have each other to rely on and we know we're never going to let each other down. In this week's episode of A Moment with Modern Mentors, A Call for Change, I interview Julia Tink and Trent Knox from St. Remio Coffee. They have got this awesome brand that is all about giving back. They source their coffee beans from Rwanda. They've both got some fabulous stories to tell. In fact, they really don't stop talking. It is such an amazing interview. I hardly said a thing. But they went to Rwanda to find and source coffee beans and found themselves amongst an amazing community of people and women particularly who were growing these beans and were not being acknowledged and they wanted to be able to translate those stories and their business of coffee in a very different way and they've done that through their brand St. Remio. So they tell the story, they're super animated, they're a husband and wife team, they've been through the highs and lows of business and they give us a little insight to that too. It's a really fascinating story. Coffee is something we can all relate to have a listen you're going to love it they're very funny they've got lots of different little insights and anecdotes along the way you'll enjoy it hi julia and trent it is so great to have you on board a moment with modern mentors season two is all about a call for change and you guys are living it welcome to the podcast and tell us a little bit about san remio and how you got here because obviously to our audience they might need to come along on the journey it's a coffee brand but tell us how you got there well i'll probably start with my background and we sort of go back more than 15 years which makes me sound pretty old but this wonderful gentleman, John Valmorbida, he had a number of brands. He was an importer of Italian products, and one of the brands he had was Lavazza Coffee. My early 20s, Johnny rang me up, and he really gave me a chance to participate in the business and also to run that business as though it was my own. And I had the chance to travel the world with coffee for more than a decade, working with John and also with the Lavazza family. We had a wonderful journey. You know, we started off, that was a going business and we were supplying, you know, delicatessens and, and pizza shops at that stage. And then we, we developed it into a really a national brand, both from cafes, restaurants and, and supermarkets. And, and also I was lucky enough to be able to start and grow a division, which was the capsules division, which, you know, in 2008, 2009, to say coffee capsules, you know, that you work for a coffee company and you sold coffee capsules, like no one in our team and no one in the industry could even believe that this would be a success or even be the phenomenon that it is today. 
fast forward, you know, over a decade with Belmorbidas and, and Lavazza. And, you know, we turned the brand. We were doing Spring Racing Carnival and we were, we were sponsoring Italian film festivals. And we didn't talk about coffee. We just spoke about the brand, you know, and we turned Lavazza into a brand. And so people were like, oh, yeah, I know Lavazza. You know, that's the coffee brand. But one of the things we never spoke about was the origins. We never spoke about where coffee came from. And Fast forward over a decade and the business of the Belmorbida family, we sold back to the Lavazza family. And so at that stage, Julie and I, well, I was out of a job and Julie was pregnant with our first child, which is totally another story mm. that took five years in the making. Yeah. So we sold and Julia said, well, why don't you go overseas and, and take some time out and think about what you want to do next? And so I sort of went around the world. I got around the world ticket, went for about three months. What a lovely wife. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How often in your career do you get to take a break? When we're in our 20s, like, you know, you graduate from school, you might take a break and then go do uni or you complete your uni degree and maybe you travel for a year. But when you get older, you never really kind of stop. So I just said to him, go, you know, we were, we were, look, we were working towards building our own coffee brand anyway. Yeah. But I said, just go, take some time out. You know, it's been a really big career and a really big ride. Just go and have a break, have some fun. You know, it's a lot to kind of, when you've been with someone for such a long time, it's, it's a lot to process too. It's a very big change and it's a very shift, big shift in a paradigm for someone. Yeah. So just have some fun. He was, you were speaking at a well, I ended up, I ended up getting, I was in Italy and I got an invitation to go to Rwanda to a coffee symposium. I don't know if you've had the chance to go to Rwanda or have you been to Central Africa? I haven't, no. I'm the same. So I'm in Italy, I'm in Milan, and they say, come to Rwanda and and do this this talk, this coffee symposium. I had the chance to do symposiums in Melbourne and in in Singapore and all all different places. And so anyway, I said, of course, you know, I'm in. I get on this aeroplane, I catch it, you know, I'm in the Middle East, then I catch this three planes and I finally find myself in Kigali, Rwanda. And at that stage, I didn't even know where it was on the map. <laughs> I don't even know what to expect. I know I had to have my yellow fever yeah. <laughs> uh, injection. I get through customs and a gentleman's waiting for me with a little sign. I think, oh, this is pretty good. We go into Kigali City and I didn't know what to expect. The next day I was speaking at a coffee conference and I'd, I'd asked a few times, like, you know, do you want me to do the sort of the similar speeches what I've done in the past about coffee capsules and the evolution of single serve and, and what's happening in the market? And they said, you know what, Trent, you start there, but let's just see how it goes and read the audience. So anyway, I rock up the next day, not really knowing. I've got, you know, I've got a suit on, you know, I'm going to put a suit on. <laughs> anyway, in the crowd, there was maybe 60, 70 females, okay, no males. We all had headsets on, they had headsets and there was translators. Anyway, I start the speech and say, you know, I'm from Australia and everyone starts clapping. You know, I explain how I got around the world and most of these women had not even been into Kigali, let alone, you know, outside of Rwanda. So anyway, we sort of start the conversation from Australia and everyone's laughing. Then I say to the people, how long have you been coffee farmers for? So it really didn't get much interaction. I thought, oh, this, you know, this is going to be slow. So anyway, I, I asked the question, I, uh, a bit of interactive, how long have you been a farmer for? Five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40. There's a lady that's been 50 years and everyone is clapping and excited. And so I said, oh, you know, what is the you know, coffee varietal that you grow on your plantation? She's really sort of blank. <laughs> oh, I'm like, I'm looking at the side of them like, what, what's going on here? Like, this is, this, this is going to go downhill quickly, this presentation. Anyway, it works out that I said, so what do you grow? And it comes back through the headphones, which says white man's medicine. I'm like, oh, (laughs) we got it. So you call coffee white man's medicine and you're having a bit of a laugh with me. (laughs) Anyway, she's dead straight face. She's got a beautiful outfit on. And she says to me, I'm sorry, I'm not sure what you're talking about. (laughs) 
<laughs> at this moment, I realised that this lady has actually been a farmer of coffee for 50 years. <gasps> And she actually doesn't know that we sit here in Melbourne or you're in Sydney or I've just been in Milan and we drink espresso, we drink coffee and we just take it for granted. You know, and I'm about to talk about spring racing carnivals and George Clooney's and, you know, I'm about to sort of go in about, you know, what, what, this evolution and I'm realising at this moment, like that aha moment, where I'm like, oh, my gosh, these people who have been growers for 50 years mm. and buy us with the coffee, you know, that we drink, they don't even know what coffee is. What it is. You know, the presentation is probably pretty average looking back on it. But, you know, <laughs> I'm in the, the next day at the plantations and they've all got small plots. So you're talking about, you know, it's like a vineyard, but, but a vineyard which has, you know, got multiple landowners on that one vineyard. Yeah. And they're all working really hard. You know, they're working the land. This is a long way from spring racing carnivals and Snoop Dogg <laughs> and George Clooney's. And, yeah. and, and, yeah, the former life. Yeah, the former life. You know, and I ring Julia and I see this lady. She's working really hard and she's got a baby on her back. And the baby would be no more than four months old, you know. And she's then got, you know, she's carrying these cherries on her head, which is coffee comes from a tree. There's cherries. A lot of it is hand-picked. It's not mechanical picked like in Colombia or Brazil. And so anyway, they're hand-picking hand, they're hand this. Yeah. They've got the baby on the back and then she's carrying up to 40 kilos of cherries on her head. And then she's walking up a, a hill, which is which is pretty steep. And so at this stage, they say, oh, Trent, join in with us. And I, of course, I put it on my head <laughs> and I really almost felt like, you know, my, my neck was about to break. Not that I'm not sporty. 40 kilos. It's on my head and I'm walking up this hill and it's 35 degrees and I'm getting sunburnt and, you know, these women are just powering up these hills and I remember almost crying. <laughs> I remember Julia saying, I'm here, I'm in this plantation, I've, I'm hearing these women's stories, like this is not right. Like yeah. we've we really got to do something. You know, we've we got to change this conversation. We've got to look at it through a different lens. And, and you know, you think about, if you think about the things that you might enjoy in food, whether that be wine or you think about maybe even, you know, you go to the steak restaurant or you go to eat truffles, you celebrate the grower. They are the absolute hero. The winemaker signs the back of the bottle. Mm. You could see a winemaker and, and that winemaker is very well known. And then you think about coffee, what we love and drink every day. And like the people who actually are mm. the farmers, they're, they're not even in consideration. You know, like it's mm. not even... It's not even for discussion. And, no, you know, and, that, and that's, you know, and that's the whole kind of purpose of St. Remo. It it's really kind of one of our kind of wines is like born in Rwanda, raised in Melbourne because yeah. that is where the concept, why we were going to start a coffee brand, that's really where the concept of St. Remo kind of took shape and we said, you know what, it's not okay to just consume your coffee. Like, you know what, we all did too. Your choice has an impact, a really big impact on the lives of these growers. And when you sit there and meet them and you kind of talk to them and or you hear the fact that they, they don't even understand what they're actually growing and therefore how it's consumed, how can you sell that for a fair price if you don't understand the end consumption chain? So it's about kind of bringing the whole thing 360 and ensuring that a whole purpose is, of course, we have good coffee. If we don't have good coffee, you know, we're not going to sell. So, of course, fundamentally, we have to have a great product. But more importantly, on top of that, is making sure that consumers are really aware and start to become really conscious that by picking both a sustainable blend of coffee, but also a brand like us that goes that extra step and invests back into communities, your daily coffee, your three times a day, whatever it is that you're consuming, is having a direct impact on the lives of someone else. You're never going to meet them. 
but your coffee choice allows us to fund projects that will not only suit that generation, but generations to come. That is so powerful. What a a simple choice can have a massive impact on someone else's life. Absolutely. And talk me through how, you know, you had that aha moment and you've come up with a concept and a brand that has a purpose now. How did you kind of bring that idea to life in a brand? And tell me, talk me through that kind of journey around how you came back from that trip and you and Julia sat down and built the St. Remio brand and launched it into the market. And, and how's that gone? Well, I'll start by saying that St. Remio is actually an acronym. Sustainable Transparency Rwanda Empower Impact Melbourne <laughs> at Origin. Origin. Yeah, nice. Oh. Everything that we stand for. Yeah. You were there when you went to the plantation. One thing that the women kind of needed to kind of almost complete the circle for them was they needed a cupping lab. When they were roasting their coffee beans, they just would roast it in a cauldron on, on coals and it would just be burnt and charred. So when they're trying to cup it. Well, they don't know the quality. It's not consistent or there's not a no. process behind it. And also they don't know what they're looking for in the taste. You know, they don't know whether the taste of potato They don't know that that's actually a defect that that people don't want in their coffee. Consumers might be looking for berry taste or they might be tasting citrus or what the the actual tones that the consumers are looking for when they're purchasing their coffee. We work with the team and the leaders of the cooperative and we actually ask them, what would you want? What would make your lives better? What is it? Now, we start off on on different projects and the the major one was a cupping lab to know more about it. You know, they wanted to be educated so that they could attract buyers, whether that be directly or through the traders, but they at least were aware of the quality. They understood the process and then they understood the quality of what their coffee they were producing. And so, therefore, they had a better understanding that, that if someone was trying to offer them a price, they knew what the value of that price was because it was there was a sort of a a scale to it or was a grading towards the coffee and that's where it comes like that empowering the business so you made a commitment pretty much then and there to say you know what you want a cupping lab we're going to find a way for it so it took us you know building a brand and we're still building like we're we're still we're a six-year-old company we're still a startup so you know we're we're still kind of chipping away and finding people who are well willing to support us because you know generally when you're trying to do something different or pioneer a new idea it takes people who are really kind of innovative and forward thinking to be open-minded to that and it's great because i think you know we're seeing a really big shift with both retailers and customers really starting to move towards brands like us that have a purpose, that have more connection with consumers that are actually doing something yeah. great. And that's starting to open up more doors for us. Mm. Had a few individuals that actually backed us from day one. There's a restaurateur in Melbourne. His name is Chris Lucas, and he's got a, a, a range of iconic restaurants such as like Chin Chin in both in Melbourne and Sydney. It's got Kasume's just recently opened Society, Baby Pizza. And he was one of the first to really believe in Julia and I and give us a go to have our coffee served at his restaurants. So what that did is it already gave us a base where we could actually point people to say, hey, if you want to give our coffee a try, go to these you know, really iconic Melbourne venues where you can actually taste our coffee. And the other one was we had a gentleman by the name of Biage. At the time, he was the buyer and now he's the head of the good guys, JB Hi-Fi Group. And he gave us a chance as well and he put us into 150 stores pretty early on. So, you know, we started off with a very small, you know, group of cafes and then we also had had the good guys. And the next one, we got our opportunity in Coles and that yeah. was three years ago is really when the brand got the ability to sort of be in 850 stores nationally across Australia. And so then therefore we're on the shelf and we're on the shelf next to brands like Lavazza, 
next to Vitoria. These are the brands that now we've got a voice and we've got the ability to be able to, you know, give consumers a choice. But also it was about, you know, that was kind of like our big break. That gave us, A, a national presence, but you know what? It's funny. Some people kind of be like, oh, say to us, oh, but you're a supermarket brand. You know what? It is such a privilege for us to be in a supermarket and for us to be in people's homes and that they choose our brand and then they get to try us. We're a coffee that is for everyone from any walk of life, many income. It doesn't matter. The the product is great. It doesn't matter how much. Also the consumption behaviour. I mean, consumption behaviour has changed so much, certainly over the last two years. I mean, you're probably at your home now. We're at home here. And the idea is, is it so you're not at your local cafe getting your coffee. You're yeah. consuming your coffee here. You might be experimenting whether you, you start off with, you know, instant coffee and you've moved into coffee capsules or whether you've gone and bought a machine where you can use whole beans or you've got your, you know, your stovetop or your plunger and you're using ground coffee. That's really changed. And so where you buy your coffee, and we've always had that where we've got dedicated ranges for the cafes and the restaurants and then we've got our supermarket range so we have we we have our range to to cater each of the different market segments that we provide correct like we do everything but like i said it's a it's a real honor to be on a supermarket shelf and like i said have customers touch and feel and try our product you know it's something that we're really proud of at that moment and and by being in in a cold supermarket that allowed those women to start to, to work with there's one q grader in Rwanda, but to start to work with him to learn about how their coffee tastes. So again, they could trade it at a higher price. And that has allowed us to kind of continue to fund key projects for these communities overseas. And for us, I mean, we couldn't be more grateful. Talk us through some of the points of difference that your coffee brand versus the kind of Lavazza or a mainstream coffee brand, what are those key differences in that give back space that your Serenio brand is about? Certainly from a product point of view, we really have a great partners with the Pedelli family. And what we've got is, is, is that we've got a great product portfolio. So what we offer is, is that any coffee that you can think of, we can provide to you, whether that be capsules in all of the formats. And, you know, we were the first to be able to bring out a capsule into the Australian market, actually in the world, but, you know, for the Australian market to have a capsule that was compatible with the Aldi Expressi machine. You know, we were also able to, to launch a number of different compatible capsules. So now we have a range of compatible capsules for each of the major systems on the market. Historically, the way that the machines they start is, is it's like the old printer cartridge, mm-hmm. whereby, you know, the manufacturer, you know, Xerox, you buy the printer and it's $99. And then when you buy your cartridges, you know, they're $200 to replace them. And that was a bit like the coffee capsule model that the, how, how the business started, where you get the machines very, very cheaply and then they charge you a higher price for capsules. So what we did is we launched a, a wide range of capsules in all the different formats, but to make it affordable. The other thing is, of course, is what Julia said about is before is around our sourcing. I mean, we've now bought in excess of 10 hectares of land in Rwanda and we've planted over 30,000 coffee trees. So, you know, in one way, you could almost say that we are plant to cup in the fact that we understand the whole value chain of where our coffee is actually grown for, for certain blends. We take the coffee directly from our own plantation all the way through to, you know, being able to have that product being served into a restaurant or, or into a supermarket. So, so yeah, we do, co- we kind of, we're coffee for everyone. We do beans, we do ground, we do capsules. The difference for us is, is the fact that we are what we call agnostic solutions. So, yep. so we can do everything. So other brands, they'll do like, of course, beans and ground. That's the, obviously the staple, but they might only do capsule for either their own system. So they've kind of got a limited, market. a limited market, whereas we have access and ability to do it for everyone. And that's both here in Australia, but also 
internationally as well. So we've just started selling into America. You know, we're selling into Russia, Saudi Arabia, Estonia, Hong Kong, and we're working on some exciting things in Italy as well. So, you know, we might be small and still absolutely a startup, but we're punching well above our weight. And I think the other thing is, is that like you talked on before, is about consumer perception of changing to brands with purpose. You know, I think really a bit changing. I think that's with like, you know, with Instagram, that's also helped us with expansion overseas is being able to be on Instagram or being able to be seen through the web. But the idea is, is that consumers are wanting to know about brands with purpose. I think that's one of our yeah. big points. We're not just a brand with our face, with George Clooney as the face. You know, we've actually got real people. We're a husband and wife team, which is great. But, you know, more to that, we're supporting growers at the source. And in our case, we're really around female empowerment. And I think that's a big difference to, you know, most of the brands that are on the market. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, as we grow and as customers find us on shelves or online, you know, the aim for us, or we move into other countries, the aim for us is that not only do we want to just kind of fund one project a year, it's, it's the bigger that we become, the more that we're able to do in multiple countries at once. And for me, that's Personally, that's something that really, really motivates me and really drives me because I'm in a position where I can do more and be more for these communities. When you go there or when we actually opened the cupping lab in 2019 before coronavirus, thank you. Honestly, it was a life-changing moment. Like we walked down the hill, there was 200 women from that cooperative and they were singing and dancing. They all had their husbands. They were dressed up in their finest. It was such a celebration. This meant so much to them. And for us, we were so thrilled that we were able to fund something for them that was going to make such a massive difference. And it was for me in that moment, I was like this, like this is my whole life. Mm. This is my purpose. This is what I'm here to do. And if I can do this, if I really push myself hard, how much more can I do for communities like this? What a gift. That for me is is everything. And breaking into an industry like the coffee industry and kind of setting yourself aside, it sounds to me just from our conversation that, you know, obviously with your backgrounds and experience in, but also your contacts, you know, you were able to kind of make some good moves to build your network in the right space. But how now that you're kind of starting to sit next to those large competitors, do you get noticed in countries like the US and Italy where they're choosing your product over another? And is that really down to the give back part of your business or is it beyond that? It's totally based on great product and and because we have the ability to do product specific for countries. So for example, in America, they're drinking ground coffee and drip filter coffee, obviously, and a, another capsule system called K-Cups. That's the biggest market. So there's no point sending a Lavazza system over there. There is no market over there. So because we're agnostic, we're able to obviously adapt, uh, adapt to so different adapt countries. To the local, we really be able to provide a solution to suit the country. You know, so that's the first thing that is product led because the idea is that when we going into a country and we're assessing which of the countries are of importance to us. You know, of course, we look at the coffee culture there, but we're making sure that we have the solution to suit the needs. So we just don't go with a blanket approach. So what we're drinking here in Australia and the products that we've got offered here in Australia, we've got a whole different range that we've just launched into America, yep. which is we don't sell one of those products here in Australia. You know, where in yep. the past is, is that brands that I've, I've been involved with would be like, this is our brand. This is how you are meant to consume coffee and you force it. It's like a push strategy. And the way that we're looking at things is actually sitting back, understanding what's happening within that market, understanding the way that people are consuming coffee. As Julia said, whether it be 
through ground coffee or whether it be curing K-cups through drip coffee and then launching with a marked product that suits them, of course, with the DNA of St. Reno and, of course, always following the message of, you know, giving back to growers and, and, and supporting a brand with purpose. So sort of that two-prong approach. Yeah. So it's not just going into a market and forcing what we currently do. No. It's really assessing and understanding the needs of each of the countries and what, what is the right solution or product for them and then being able to then leverage on the fact about the you know, from the brand DNA. And the other thing is that we had a conversation with an Italian company about a month ago, four weeks ago. And one of the things that they really couldn't believe is, is that, you know, we look at it because we're so, I suppose, centric, but we think Australia and certainly Melbourne is one of the coffee cultures of the world. You know, we think we are, and that's mainly because of the fact that we consume milk with our coffee, which many of the other countries don't. You know, they don't lead with milk, but it's because we've got such great quality milk here in Australia as they do in New Zealand. But in many of the other countries, they don't lead with milk. We've invented drinks like cafe lattes and we've also then specialty coffee along with states in America. And so I think that they think of this Australia as almost, you know, something which is quite exotic to them. (laughs) You know, and so to have a husband and wife team, which is from Australia, and then thinking that we source, you know, coffees from around the world or we support projects from Rwanda, and then we can actually supply coffee back to the Italians. Like, it's a dream, you know, one of my dreams would be to, you know, to think that we can go back to Italy where for many years we're exporting the coffee from, and now we can go back there and we can actually see our product and our brand on on shelves and Italian consumers having our coffee is is something that is, uh, is is a real dream. But also, what is open? So, again, of course, the products are opening, are allowing us to have those conversations. And again, you have to have the right products to open those doors. But what's really kind of giving us the traction is absolutely what Severino stands for as a business and what we're doing. That's what people are being receptive to. That is what is allowing us to have these conversations and get a seat at the table, Mm. which is, like I said, really great because, you know, we're seeing a shift from those really big brands and obviously we're competing against them Mm. and we are not a multinational and nor do we intend to be. We just want to produce the the best product and be able to do really amazing things to help communities and that is what is allowing us to start to get traction into other countries and that's really exciting for us. And how has it gone over the last, you know, 12 to 24 months with COVID? How has, has that been a good thing for your business or a kind of challenging thing? Again, it's a, like it's a tale of two because you know our business and our restaurant partners. So you know that's the you know where we our foundation of our business is our restaurant partners. They're really struggling because we can't open the doors. So you know whether that's here or whether that's overseas is is that unfortunately the cafe and restaurant segment has been decimated with COVID, and so we've found that you know that side of the business is certainly dropped. But as you said, on the other hand, consumption in home has has gone gangbusters. So we're seeing significant growth over the last few years. The other thing that's also helped us probably is is that, you know, with meetings, you know, like what we're doing at the moment over the internet, we're having our our meetings, we're able to have meetings with our buyers and our customers and distributors in other countries. And therefore, the distance of not being able to jump on the plane and travel 24 hours to get there is now being eliminated. And that's for everyone. You know, to think that our business was uh, percentage of business outside of Australia was zero. Yeah. And then to think at the end of last year, we pretty much doubled our business last year and 30% of that business is, is overseas. So, yeah. you know, it's we're really proud in that fact that, you know, we can now go, you know, we've got a company that's registered in the USA. We registered our company in the USA and we've yeah. been supplying coffee over there for the last, you know, 18 months yeah. in, in some pretty good volumes. I think that we're also doing into the GCC, into the Gulf countries. Yeah. And, and Hong Kong and, and Russia and, you know, it's, it's so exciting, you know, and, and yeah. 
because of the fact we haven't been able to travel, it's sort of accelerating that process. Yeah. I think for us too, you know, we're really lucky too that, again, we supply supermarkets because it's the one thing that has also remained open. So, of course, our online, you know, our online business is, yeah. has, it has really kind of grown exponentially because people are homeschooling and working from home. You know, coffee consumption has increased, so therefore they're ordering coffee and they, they might not want to leave their home, so they're ordering to make sure it comes to their homes. And, of course, obviously having a range that's in a supermarket, of course, when that's the only thing that's open, while it's really decimating and, and devastating for the hospitality in the cafe industry you know we're also really lucky because we have products on a retail shelf mm, absolutely and so like you two as humans tell me a little bit about what's kind of inspired you to you know start your own business and do these things because obviously it takes a lot of tenacity to work through challenging times to do a startup to do it all with young children talk us through just you two as humans and the kind of personalities you've both got to to do this i have always wanted to run a business since I was 15. For me, the writing was on the wall from a, from a pretty young age. And I've cut my teeth on small business. I've worked in corporate, but I also cut my teeth largely in, in small business from when I was 19 years old. And it's something that I really loved. And I started my own business at 27. I used to run a, a PR agency. And I really kind of love the challenge. I love developing up and coming people. And I love seeing people succeed and thrive in a business. I love the challenge. It's something that really has kind of sits really well with me. And when it comes to Trent and I, partnerships are really hard, whether it be your husband, be a friend, a family member, I don't care, whoever it is, a partnership in a business is really, really hard. But for us, Trent and I, we are kind of yin and yang. We are very different, very different in business. <laughs> I'm a risk taker of the two. You know, Trent is much more conservative. But that's not a bad thing. I think we need that balance between mm. each other in order to kind of strike a happy ground. Plus, we have different skill sets. Mm. You know, like I said, a risk taker, but I kind of sit more in a creative kind of space. Trent has obviously got phenomenal coffee knowledge and relationships from his past career and has great relationships and, you know, he's really good at the numbers, et cetera. So we have complementary yeah. skill sets. For the same people, you kill each other. Yeah. You know, married to him or not, or if it was my sister, it doesn't matter. You'd kill each other. So a partnership is hard, but you've really got to look for, for the complementary in each other. And for us at the end of the day too, you know, it's family first. Like we are husband well, and wife. I was going to say that. For first me, and foremost. For me, business is one thing, but like the underlying for me value is family. That's the highest yeah. value that I hold. You know, I've got, come from a very loving family with my mother and father, my, my siblings and my grandparents. And I know how important also this was to Julia and that she'd always wanted to do that. And so to be really fair, I tagged along in this and we contribute evenly, but the fact is, is that, you know, this was something that Julia is very good at, at the business side and had that desire to do that. And for me, I just want our family to be happy and I just want us to see us progress and, and do what we, we think we have, you know, to live out our potential. But to be honest, I mean, we can't do this without each other. Oh, we absolutely can't. No you know, this brand doesn't exist without each other. Yep. So we're husband and wife first and foremost. And, you know, it, business is really hard. Like it's not rainbows and unicorns and, you know, popping champagne every day saying this is amazing because, <laughs> I mean, it's not. There are so many sleepless nights and 
You have so many challenges that get thrown your way, then you've got to ride through that. But also when you're riding through that, making sure that, you know, you're keeping your relationship steady too and that we're doing it together. And like I said, that we also don't forget the end goal, which is right. It's absolutely to make sure that, of course, that we build a brand with purpose, that we also show our children who are young. We've got a son that's five and a daughter who's five months old. So, you know, we're right in it. But we want to also show them how to be good people and work ethic. And if you work really hard on something that you believe in and that you want, that you can achieve those things as well. Like, I don't want to raise another asshole. The world's got enough of them. (laughs) I need to to raise children who are resilient, who are adaptable, who are passionate, who are kind and generous and, and are fundamentally good people. And I want them to see, you know, mom and dad worked really hard and made a lot of sacrifices for us. I think everyone's kind of motivated by family. Like at the end of the day, what's intrinsically, we're all linked no matter where you live by the fact that you are trying to do your best to give your children the best that you can afford. And that's the same with when we support growers in Rwanda and we see women working with their child on their back just working the land and in Rwanda like some of those plantations are on hills like this and I'm telling I couldn't walk down it because if I fell and if they fell too like you did it's just as simple as that but they're also working for their family yeah one of the big things about coffee and coffee growers is is that the next generation you know we're really at risk within coffee also because the next generation of children see their parents and in many cases more than 75 percent of the coffee growers are women that the kids see their mum farming and it's really hard work. And so then the young kids who have now got mobile phones, I mean, you know, we're in Rwanda, in the middle of Rwanda, and we may not have, the, you know, fresh water, access to fresh water, but, you know, the kids got mobile phones. No, so, and better internet you know, than here and, in Australia yeah, too, might I say. Better Wi-Fi. <laughs> but the idea is, is that so they, they're seeing that there's a bigger and better world maybe out there for them, but the idea then of being able to educate them and say that coffee is so much more or it doesn't have to be this way, that, you know, they could be agronomists, they can be coffee roasters. There's cafes now opening in Rwanda where they're actually now drinking coffee. You know, you can go and get great coffee in, in, in Rwanda in coffee shops. These young kids are realising they could even travel and they could use this business to travel the world and mm. be, you know, salespeople or working coffee, you know, in, in many, many countries. And so so the idea is, is that for their families, it, they've got a, the business, but it doesn't have to just be how their parents were. That's something that what we hope that we can contribute to these communities as well is to almost change that cycle as well, you know. And also it has to become a viable income. I mean, at the end of the day, some of the really biggest challenges that are facing coffee growers is the fact that they're not getting paid a fair price for their coffee or they're getting paid under. So they're working so hard. This is their annual income. So they're relying solely on this wet harvest season. And then when they sell their coffee, they're losing money. Therefore, they're abandoning their plots of land too. That is also a, a real, a very real challenge that's also facing the coffee industry as a whole. And that's why it's also important to ensure that you're buying a fair trade or a, a sustainable so coffee because you're ensuring that you're paying above averages to ensure that that community can thrive and also earn a fair income from that land. Otherwise, you'll find that they'll continue to abandon plots and the price of coffee will go from you'll, like have, a $10, you'll have a $10 cup of coffee and that will be the norm. So we also need to, you know, make sure it's a viable career option so the next generation coming through says, I'm happy to be a coffee grower because I can make a great living from it. 
it sounds to me just like what you've been able to achieve is really kind of encapsulate an industry, but really globalize it from a, an Australian standpoint. Take your family touch and that human touch, really put that on your brand as St. Remy. I feel like we haven't even dug into the branding and all that part of it, but it's just having looked at your Instagram and your website, I can see how colorful and how rich those images that you use for the St. Remy brand are. Did you have much to do with the branding itself? Did you guys put your blend on that? Well, that's all Julia. You know, that's Julia, <laughs> as she said. So all of the Julia, you know, the signature on the side of the pack and the photos and the way that we crafted putting the coffee onto the front and the colours and all that is, you know, is all driven by Julia. And sometimes that can create a, uh, you know, we have some great discussions about that, you know, because I sometimes say it's not what we like, it's what the actual consumer and shelf likes. But <laughs> I agree, you know, we are looking at it differently to many of what the multinationals and previously how we looked at coffee and how we did the branding of the coffee historically is different to what we do now and the way that we you know we, 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 to have we like, personalize it as well you know no, it's, absolutely it's personalized. Like, the, like the photos of the women that you see on the side of pack or if it's on a coffee bag and you look at the back that's the community you're helping like that yeah. is them like it's, yeah. it's Anna Marie on the back or it's Dativ on the back you know they're the people that your purchase is directly having impact yeah. on. so that connection is real and people when they obviously pick up the pack and kind of start to read through it is to see that sure it looks like a you know a nice branded product from the front but it's the stories around it and what it's telling you is that your choice is having impact and these are the people these are the faces it's making that human connection and that's so it's so important to me so every time we're putting something together it's always about making sure I have those photos and I'm making that connection with the, with the customer because that's your choice is having an impact on them. So tell me, we've just got very little time left, unfortunately. It's such a great conversation, but I got a couple of things I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. And one of them was, tell us about one challenging moment you've had during this six-year period of having the business launch and how you overcame it. And then how you kind of managed that as a business couple, but also as a you know married couple. I mean, <laughs> can I just tell you? Yeah, I don't even know if what? we've got an hour. Yeah, I, I, don't just... Think got an hour. I just don't think you <laughs> If you were not living this every day, I say this, I would look at what we've been through in the last six years, and it is one of the greatest movies. It will, if when the story yes. comes out about what we've had to endure, and by the way, I know probably another hundred people who listen to today are going through many, many different things within their businesses. It's the definition of un-effing believable, someone once said to me. Yeah. The trials and tribulations that we've had in six years, you know, you couldn't have walked into more booby traps. I or, mean, well, you know, I mean we'll, we'll give you a quick little summary. Like when we got our big break into Coles, we missed our first delivery. <laughs> and in supermarkets, they have yeah, one chance. Yeah, they have a plan. You have one chance. I don't know if you've been watching Billions, but, uh, you know, like getting the pizzas on shelf. But the idea is is that, yeah, you've got a window and they have a planogram and they change the shelf once <laughs> and it's every 12 months. You, you know, miss it, and, you're done. And, and, we, were, and we, we missed it by four months, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, we got there, but, that you know, that's one of them. You know, we've had some heavy legal challenges come our way and that for us has been really, really challenging. But we won, so don't worry. We were always going to win. It was a David and Goliath battle and that if you've ever gone to court, which I wish that on no one, nothing is going to make you age or realise who your friends are too. Yeah. You're really in in a difficult spot and you need people to really wrap their arms around you. It's amazing how many people think either that's too much and they run away. Yeah. How do you stay together through that and not kind of 
turn on each other because you're so kind of stressed? How do you how do you keep together? Well, with family is the most important priority. You know, like at the end of the day, we're front and center. And wife, and look, it, it pours out. There's no doubt. Not as we said, like I'm the one, I'm the stress head. You know, there's no <laughs> doubt about it. And so the one, I'm the one who's the, you know who's the up and down. And so Julia is the rock who sort of oh, you know, you. <laughs> and so that when we've had a lot of these issues, like like any team, we've had defined roles. Yeah. Is, you know, just, you know, put a hand up and, and taken on some task, which, you know, I really just honestly, I wouldn't say didn't have the energy for, but just that, you know, it was it was just all, you, you know, and to think that you're so out of your depth on, on certain, mm. we're not meant to be, you know, know, know everything. And for Julia, the way that we stood up and, you know, the process that we went through for two years and, you know, the money that was spent over two years that, as you said, which we ended up winning and, you know, we were, we were being bullied effectively by a company who was trying to get us out of business, but, you know, because we were a threat. At that stage, it was really around Julia was shielding me from some of the things that was really going on because we just had to, you know, my job was to focus on selling and getting the sales and then her job was to protect the company and to, you know, protect the intellectual property of our Mm. Remy on what we stand for. Look, it's a, it's a, sometimes it's got to be a bit of a divide and conquer. So that's yeah. kind of how we took that. And I think one of my strong points as a person is, and I'm really bad at saying this word, is decompartmentalizing issues. <laughs> I pick something up and I can put it back down. And my whole thing with anything that kind of comes across our plate that's hectic, I've always listened to my gut and I really feel like if you can tune into that, you can really, you know when things are bad or you know you've got that thing like I'm going to be okay. Now things yeah. can look really ugly at times, but I always had the feeling like we are going to be okay. And then it's about um, it's just an unrelenting kind of self-belief that we're going to get there for the, you know, for the end goal. And, you know, I'd always, in really hard times, I always look at my kids too and I kind of find peace in that too. I never, ever wanted to let Trent down and I never wanted to let my son who was oh, three. Got her, Mia. Okay. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> I didn't want to say to him, oh, sorry, pick up your toy. <laughs> Mummy, yeah, I am going to swear now, Mummy fucked up and you've got to move out of the house. We've lost everything. Yeah. I'm never going to let that happen. So, yeah. you know, it took it took a lot, but... Well, I was never going to give up and we've come, we have worked so hard yeah. on this business and we'll continue, it. but we'll continue to work. And this is not our last life, yeah. please. You know, life is is going to come swinging at us and people will come swinging at us left, right and centre. That's just what this is. Mm. But that's business. It's kind of the ugly side of business and that's just, and sometimes that's life too. Like mm. but you just got to roll with the punches. You've just put on another layer of armour and I think it's about it's about building resilience and I also think the universe puts test points at you and says, okay, well, you know what, guys, if you want to go to the next level, sure, you've got to survive this because if you can't survive <laughs> this, you can't survive the next level. Yep. That's how you build up. That's well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You've absolutely nailed it there. We are so out of time, but tell me quickly, what are your books? What are your books that you love to read that have changed your life? Oh, for me, mine would be, I've got two, I'd say Phil Knight Shoe Dog, the story of Nike. I used to okay. own Nike as a 17-year-old boy and I, I just love that story. And I also read The House of Gucci, which is, I think it's going to be a movie now. I love the element of family businesses, you know, and the yeah. Disney businesses so that's my two i've got two as well my first one is oh yeah andy's we heard him yep we actually met him and, and heard him yep. speak we and he him. was one of the people who survived you know the andy's when the plane yeah. oh wow most 
life-changing conversation and he was just an amazing man. Yeah, it was a movie made after him. Correct. That book for me has absolutely been something. I pass it to all my families and he's, he wrote in the cover and he just wrote, you know, Believe. I certainly love that book. And the other book I love, Please Like Love, is Dr. Seuss's Oh, The Places That, that You'll Go. Oh, yeah, I love that. Oh, gosh, for the kids. Cool. It's yeah, I, yeah. I love reading it. Like, I, of course, I read it to my children, but when Trent, you know, started his job at Lavata, I got yeah. it for him and I gave it <laughs> to friends it. along the way. Oh, totally. I love it. The whole thing, it's just fantastic. I agree. And just quickly, if you had one thing to say to the world, what is your message that you just like, please listen? My whole thing is follow your heart, just be a good person and really believe in yourself. And you re- if you really want something, go and get it. Like the only person that's in your way, it's you. We have got this uh, neon light as soon as you walk into the office and it says, dream, believe, create, succeed. I think I don't know if it was one of our mates who maybe coined the phrase, but, you know, that's something that we've always done. Dream, believe, create, succeed. And that's what we we, we do every day. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> Julia, thank you, Trent. It's been awesome having on a moment with Modern Mentors. You two are awesome. We're going to be putting this up in a few weeks' time, so I really appreciate you telling us your story. Make sure you subscribe to our channel and stay tuned for more episodes from a moment with modern mentors coming your way soon.